0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry's over there. Chandler's over Chuck's shoulder in the window. Creepy. Everything's all weird. I'm hot and you're cold. Uh, uh, Yeah, I'm cold. One of us is Mars and one of us is Venus. <laughs> Isn't that a book? Chuck yeah. is from Mars, from Convenience. It is. <laughs> it's a bestseller
0: in the uh, podcast co-host uh, segment of Barnes &
1: Noble. Are those still around? Yeah, they got like three books. <laughs> in three stores. That one, click and clack. By the way, RIP. Yeah, RIP. Legend. Yeah.
0: Man, that was a sad one.
1: Was he click or clack?
0: Uh, you know, I always got that confused Um it was wa- Tom, right? I want to say Click, but um, but it was
1: Tom who died. Yeah, and his younger brother Ray is still around. Yeah, very sad. Yeah, that
0: was a great show, yeah. man.
1: Yeah, my hat was off to NPR for like immediately like lowering the flag and yeah. making a big deal out of it. I mean, like, it was cool. Yeah, he certainly taught
0: us a thing or two. They did about just everything we know, kind of being natural goofs. <laughs> yeah, leaving in
1: everything exactly. So hats off to you, sir. So Chuck, moving along to terraforming? Yes. Um did you know that a uh, a recent study found that even if we instituted a global one-child policy like China? Yeah. But global. Sure. By 2100, which is less than 100 years away now. Yeah. Um it's like 85 years away. That's not that far. No we'd be able to keep the population at about current levels. A lot of people would say the current level is too much as it is. Yeah. But if we didn't do anything and continued on this pace of growth, we'd hit about 12 billion people by 2100. Yeah. That is a ton of people, That's a lot of folks. There's a it's a lot of stretch on resources for agriculture, yeah, for fuel, energy, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's caused a lot of people, numbers like this, studies like this, has caused a lot of people to say, um, how are we going to support all of these people? Yeah. Did you know a lot of people poo-poo that notion? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I you told know me that.
0: that. I had no idea. When I did that little video on overpopulation, a lot of people were like, this is not a problem. This is a conspiracy. Right. There's but a, really? there's
1: a, there's a definite division between camps. There's the gloom and doom camp. Yeah. Who say like, we're screwed. Sure. And then there's the other camp who says, we'll always technologically advance our way out of trouble like this right, right. sure is that what you're saying
0: uh, i don't know what the point was i think there's just a, there's a camp that says overpopulation is not an issue yeah. like people say it is
1: well i think like if you people redistributed people yeah uh, it's possible that that could alleviate overpopulation if it is a thing yeah but i think most people i can't even say that some people would say that Agriculture has what's called a carrying capacity, yeah. and we've talked about Malthus before, um, and that we are possibly stretching it right now. Sure. Um, so a lot of people, the ones who do believe in the overpopulation problem, are starting to look to the stars and saying, hey, man, let's figure out how to exploit other planets, too. Yeah, so the human race can survive. Isn't that what Interstellar is about, that new movie? Yeah, and, and it was totally, I didn't think like, oh, Interstellar, this will be timely. Like the two just happened to coincide. Is it about terraforming
0: or is it just like, <laughs> hey, go find a place that's hospitable?
1: Well, according to what Michael Caine says in the preview, <laughs> it's about just going to find a, a hospitable planet, which is a search that is currently underway and has been for a while through NASA's Kepler um, Observatory. Yeah. They've been looking for exoplanets and supposedly right now they have, there are 1854 confirmed exoplanets, 4173 unconfirmed and all of them are between 10 light years and 25,000 light years from earth. Pretty far. It is right now. It's, it's prohibitively far. Yeah. But there are planets out there that exist in what's called the Goldilocks zone, which is they orbit a star. And they're just far enough away from the star that they're not going to burn to a crisp. Right. But they're not so far away that you're going to freeze to death. Hence the Goldilocks zone. Not too hot, not too cold. Oh, gotcha. You got it? That's so cute. So that's one thing we could do. We could go find a planet that's like ready made for us to live on. Yeah.
0: If, if I doubt that exists though.
1: Yeah. And plus, even if we did find it, like I said, the closest exoplanet that we know of, I think, is about 10 light years away. Yeah. That means it would take a photon, which travels at the speed of light, yeah. 10 years to get there. We can't travel anywhere near the speed of no. light, so it might as well not exist. We're not photons. So all No, we're not. So alternately, uh, a lot of people are proposing to take a planet or a moon or an asteroid or something and turn it into something habitable for us, and that's terraforming.
0: Yeah, find a nice little fixer-upper planet, <laughs>
1: go in there and flip it, and move
0: humanity there mm-hmm.
1: to ruin it. Maybe have a meltdown in front of the cameras. Yeah. Uh, make a couple of stupid things, uh, cliffhangers. Sure. Boom. You've got yourself a series.
0: That's right. Uh, terraforming. We did a short video about this once, about 100 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, where we explained it in 60 seconds. <laughs> we should just
1: try that again. No. Not just press happen. play and sit back. We also did one about lunar building a lunar base. Yeah, sure. I almost said a lunar base on the moon, but that's redundant. Yeah. Uh, And that's another idea is, well, we could just build lunar bases and stuff like that. I think Russia is doing that, right? They announced uh, in May or June. They want to build a habitable base up there, right? They plan to spend several hundred million dollars and put it on the moon and just start mining the moon. They want to get a jump on the rest of humanity, and it's pretty smart. Yeah. But building a lunar base or building a base anywhere, a floating city on Venus or anything like that, that's not terraforming. That's building a base somewhere or a floating city somewhere.
0: Yeah, we're talking about changing the atmosphere of a planet. (laughs) Yes. And more.
1: Yeah, which requires a substantial amount of energy, a lot of foresight, and and a tremendous amount of patience. And money. Yeah, I have money. Yeah. But I mean, if you take money and the amount of time, I would say the amount of time is more depressing than the amount of money you're going to have to sink into it. Because what we're talking about is stuff that's not going to take place until millennia have passed.
0: Yeah, there's all sorts of ranges of how long it might take to mm-hmm. terraform a planet. Right. Uh, from 1,000 years to 20,000 years. Right. I saw uh,
1: 40,000. Yeah. For Mars, to, for us to be able to go to Mars and take off a helmet and be like... Uh, right. Michio Kaku has a very cheap idea. Have you ever seen his little short
0: videos? No. He explains in 60 seconds.
1: What is he... Uh, what, what's his idea? He's like, uh, you know, there's
0: lots of CO2 under the surface and all we have to do is heat that up a little bit and jumpstart the process. Yeah. And then it creates a, uh, what do you call a catalytic effect and it just sort of sustains itself. Well, it let's just talk needs a about jump that. start.
1: Yeah. So that's called what he's talking about is called the standard paradigm. Yeah. That Mars has enough CO2 on the planet that if like he says you could just melt it, it will create an atmosphere that traps heat. Yeah. You know, we have a problem with CO2 on this planet, sort which is a, another reason yeah. people say we need to go find another planet and create a greenhouse effect. And that will trap heat, which yeah. will melt more CO2 and more and more, and it will just create this cycle. Do there what we don't want to do here. Exactly. Yeah. Jumpstart it. Let's, let's talk about Mars, man. You got some time to, to rap about Mars and, and why Mars is frequently pointed to as an ideal locale for terraforming?
0: Yeah. If you listen to our April episode on Mars, then you know a lot about Mars. Um, but we're going to recap some of it. Uh, Mars is a very cold, dry, dusty place now, yeah. but it used to be wet and warm and a lot more like Earth than uh, a lot of surrounding planets. So they yeah. think if we can just get it back to that state, yep. then we've got a
1: good start. Probably the key to Mars, more than anything else, that makes it a uh, the likeliest candidate for terraforming is that the Martian day is 23.7 hours. I think it's almost exactly like Earth's day, right? Oh, is it getting shorter? Or no, 24.7 hours. I'm sorry.
0: 24 hours and
1: 37 minutes. Something. Yes. Yeah. 0.7 is 37 minutes, isn't it? <laughs> sure. I just wanted to give it a relatable. So it's angle. close. Yeah. It's it's very close yeah. to the Earth day. Um, and that indicates that it spins. So if Mars is already spinning, it has a huge leg up. Over the competition in the terraforming contest. Yes. So many, many years ago, Mars was wet. Uh, there was volcanic activity and it was getting bombarded by asteroids. That's right. That did two things, Chuck. Two huge things for Mars. One, these asteroids were bringing in gases or compounds that Mars needed to have an atmosphere, right? It was That's supplying right. the planet with it. And then the volcanic activity was taking these, um, these compounds and elements that were locked into rock and stuff like that and recycling them back into the atmosphere which was sustaining the atmosphere right
0: yeah which was great as long as that was going on but once those volcanoes stopped and it was lousy with volcanoes right once they they stopped doing their recycling gig uh it basically absorbed all that stuff and locked it in the the
1: the planet yeah the same thing would happen here apparently like if we didn't have volcanic activity um, it what volcanoes do one of the things they perform is atmospheric recycling which is taking this stuff that you normally have in the atmosphere that's been absorbed by by the soil or yeah. by rock and boiling it, melting the rock, and spewing it out as a gas back in the atmosphere. And like you said, when Mars stopped doing that, it the recycling process stopped, and all of a sudden you just had a static atmosphere that slowly was stripped away. That's right. Another part of the problem was uh, Mars cooled at the core – and that means it lost its magnetic field. So the upper atmosphere was, uh, not being held in place any longer by the magnetosphere. Yeah. So the solar winds were just stripping it away. And all of a sudden Mars had this very thin atmosphere that wasn't, that couldn't trap heat any longer. And the whole planet, like you said, got really dry and really cold like we know it today.
0: That's right. And, uh, completely uninhabitable. Um, a couple of other things Mars doesn't have going for it. Um, is it's not very close. Uh, it's what, like six months away to get there?
1: Yeah, I, I guess.
0: Yeah, I think it's like a six month trip to get to Mars. Uh, and that's a long way to go if you want to make regular trips. Just, it's, sure. it's cost prohibitive.
1: Yes. But compared to the moon, which you can get to like lickety split. Yeah, that's like a weekender. Six months is, that's pretty distant. Sure. Um, but the fact again, the fact that Mars has this history of, um, being able to hold an atmosphere and surface water, two huge factors in, in a habitable planet. Yeah. Um, and the fact that, uh, there's stuff that's necessary for life, like CO2 and things like that, trapped on the planet already in a frozen form, really just kind of is a, is a bright flashing neon sign to people saying, hey man, come terraform me. That's right. we'll talk about some of the steps that you have to take to terraform a planet like Mars right after this.
0: Okay, so Mars is a good, uh, it's a good, nice old house that has good bones.
1: Oh yeah, it's a great analogy. And
0: we want to restore it to its former moist, wet glory, (laughs) (laughs) which sounds really gross. Some people can't even hear the word moist, you know? Yeah. Moist.
1: There's moist. a whole it's like a yeah. I don't mind it.
0: Uh so Michio Kaku is has the right idea. There are polar ice caps on Mars, uh which have a lot of CO two, and if you jump start those and start to melt them, let's say with solar reflective mirrors, yeah. bounce that sun over there that way, uh that might be a good way to get things started.
1: Right. And it's not gonna take too terribly much energy. Um to melt those, that sequestered CO2, because, um, carbon dioxide, basically what those polar ice caps are is dry ice. Like Mars has dry ice all over it. That's from the atmosphere that was frozen, right? That's right. And, um, dry ice sublimates at a hundred and negative 109 degrees Fahrenheit, right? So if you can just direct some mirrors at it and just raise it to that temperature, all, uh, that CO2 is going to go from ice and vaporize into gas, and it's going to float up and hang in that thin atmosphere. And like we said, once you have that CO2 in that thin atmosphere, you've just started this chain reaction that's going to create a cycle where the planet gets warmer and warmer, and the more and more CO2 sublimates and joins the atmosphere, and you have a runaway greenhouse effect. Apparently, the at the peak, the calculations of the amount of CO2 on Mars uh, is – says that you would have a surface temperature of about 158 degrees Fahrenheit. That's great. Yeah. It's a little <laughs> hot, but that means water can be sustained. Uh-huh. Um, that means that with that atmosphere, the air pressure will be increased, because right now the air pressure on Mars is pretty low, too. I think it's about 1% of sea level here on Earth, Yeah, which is another challenge.
0: Yeah, well, maybe once it's that hot, we can introduce uh, hyperthermophiles, because and I will we'll get to Venus but that's one of the ideas for Venus. Mm-hmm. And the idea is is you want you can't just plop humans down immediately. What what you're going to have to start with is some basic form of life, some kind of bacteria perhaps, right, that just starts doing its thing and uh chowing down on CO2 and and making oxygen and uh pretty soon, like many thousands <laughs> of years later, um, humans might be able to live there.
1: Right, one of the that's that's almost like the intermediate step. So the first step is to get an atmosphere back on Mars. And to get an atmosphere back on Mars, you take Michio Kaku's mirrors and melt the polar ice caps. I don't think caps. they were his mirrors, but yeah. Right. It's just nice to say his name sometimes. Sure. Uh, and you melt the polar ice caps of dry ice, and you create this atmosphere, and you allow water to... to Melt onto the surface. And then you add something like I think the likeliest candidate is cyanobacteria, which is incorrectly referred to as blue green algae. Who says that? Who says what?
0: Blue green algae.
1: That's the other term for it. Oh, really? But it's not an algae. It's like a protozoan, I think, or something. Or it's a prokaryote, not a eukaryote, like algae. Gotcha. Man, I feel nerdy right now.
0: It's the oldest fossil on Earth. I mean, that's kind of where it all began.
1: Right. That's what gave Earth its oxygen. So we're saying, hey, why not try the same thing on Mars? Yeah. Got a bunch of CO2 on Mars, a runaway greenhouse effect? Well, it just so happens that cyanobacteria eats CO2. And not only does it eat CO2, it it converts that stuff into oxygen as a waste product. So, all of a sudden, you have something, a living organism on Mars that's converting the atmosphere into something breathable for us humans here on Earth. The problem is is you have to have water present for cyanobacteria to live. But you're going to have that water because you've melted the ice caps. You've melted the ice caps to get the CO2 released, which is like negative 109. You need to raise the temperature to at least 32 degrees to start melting the water which requires even more energy. Where are you going to yeah. get that?
0: Well, you're not going to introduce any cyanobacteria until you have that water. Like That's the first goal. You it, can't have life without water.
1: Exactly. But once you do get the water going, which, again, you could use orbital mirrors, but you just have to concentrate them a little more to reflect more energy into a tighter spot. Sure. Um, you got the cyanobacteria. It's chomping away at the CO2. It's producing oxygen. Some conservative estimates that I've seen – are once you have the oceans or the surface water on Mars, which, staggeringly to me, we could do in a couple hundred years, supposedly? Yeah. That's nuts, man. Think about that. Like, Mars could be turned from a desert into a place with surface water in a couple hundred years. Yeah. That's not that far away. It's not. But after that, it would take about 40,000 years for enough oxygen to be introduced in the atmosphere for a human to possibly walk around on mars yeah this is why it's so like far-fetched to me well it's science fiction it it is far-fetched but if you take a long view of humanity and say yeah i mean there's no reason what was it man? in the extinction episode how long does the average species last wasn't it like 10 million years i don't know well say it is even 1 million years that means humans will be around supposedly i'd be surprised it well beyond forty thousand years. So we need to be thinking like in, in these terms because there's no way Earth's gonna last another forty thousand years for us. Yeah. Unless we just radically re engineer ourselves.
0: Yeah, I I'm a I get I don't I never thought of myself as a doom and gloomer, but I must be, because I don't I don't know if humans will be around in forty thousand years. I guess we'll see. Yeah?
1: All right, we won't see, but, <laughs> but I mean technically it, it should only take, uh, an existential, existential catastrophe to get rid of humans. Like, we shouldn't just necessarily die off as a species. It, it should, it, it should take something like a physics experiment gone awry. Yeah. Or a nuclear war. Sure. Or biochemical attack, something like that. Yeah, man will do it. Yes, it would be a self-injury probably. Yeah. Suicide. I guess. Well, not suicide.
0: Murder. Right. <laughs> murder humanity.
1: Yeah. So then there's two other things. And there's a guy named Martin Fogg who wrote a book called Terraforming, Engineering Planetary Environments. And he basically laid out what you have to do to get Mars going. Um, and again, Mars is the easiest one to do because it has that planetary rotation already. Yeah. But additionally, there's two other things you have to handle. One is um, the atmospheric pressure. So apparently, even at best, Mars would, um, it'd be a lot like existing on a mountaintop here on Earth. Like the air would be
0: thin. You'd be like living on the top of Mount Everest.
1: You'd have to, you'd have to bring your own oxygen. You would. So like, but maybe Tibetans and Ethiopian highlanders would make like great early inhabitants (laughs) of, you know, a terraformed Mars because they're already used to that kind of thing. Sherpa. The, exactly. The other thing is, is you need nitrogen. Um, nitrogen is vital to life and the atmosphere.
0: Yeah, and there's not much nitrogen on Mars.
1: No. So they're saying, well, then all you have to do is start directing comets. Ammonia-based ice droids, I think is what they call them.
0: Yeah, because I don't know if everyone knows this. Comets are, uh, I think one of the articles likened it to giant snowballs. Mm-hmm. And if you sent a comet and exploded it before it hit the planet, uh, it in theory, would send ice everywhere. Yeah. Which would be pretty cool, but you'd need a lot of comets. You, you would. It's not just like one comet and you're done. No, one and done doesn't apply to terraforming And we have to figure out how to steer these comets that way. And...
1: Which apparently is not, I mean, using um, astrophysics, I guess, that's not. it's not out of the realm of possibility no, no, no. It's not to out of the steer realm. a comet and then... Hit it with a, a nuclear device to blow it up so that it explodes into shards and then rains down on Mars. A lot of things could go wrong, though. It, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's fraught with complications. Steering comets, but it is a viable way to introduce nitrogen to Mars, and it it should ideally stick around, especially once you have an atmosphere. Yeah. Um. So that's Mars. It's probably the way we're going to go. Keep an eye out because in a couple of centuries. There'll probably be some seas on Mars.
0: Yeah, and I think that guy that you mentioned too says even if we do manage to do this, it's going to be a constant process of reintroducing uh, these these elements, these volatile elements, to keep that atmosphere going. I don't I don't know if if Michio Kaku is right if it would ever like self sustain.
1: Well. It could if you do that standard paradigm of creating a runaway greenhouse effect. Yeah. What Martin Fogg is saying is, why would you want to do that? Because then you have a, a greenhouse effect well, that you have to deal with. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. Then you have to rein that in. Exactly. Yeah. He, he takes a, a longer view of just slowly introducing stuff again and again to, sl- to, to create this Martian atmosphere over a longer period. But um, in a more uh, granular way, right right. Like more more directed than just creating a runaway greenhouse effect.
0: That makes more sense. Yeah,
1: a little more focused. right. Yeah. So we'll talk about some of Mars's rivals for the terraforming game uh, right after this.. Stuff
0: should Stuff should so I guess I'm Venus, since I'm always hot. Uh, because Venus is a very hot place it's um very unlike Mars, but some people say Venus has a few things going for it, namely it's super close, it's yeah the closest planet to us. yeah uh, we have similar uh, almost well not identical, but very similar size and mass and a very thick atmosphere, uh, just like Earth does. so there's a lot of similarities there, um, but you're sort of working in the opposite direction of Mars is you got to cool Venus down. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And there's lots of wacky ideas on how to do that. Uh, one of which is, what would you do if you were hot? Put, put up a big
1: shade. Yeah, like one of those little <laughs> uh, umbrellas in a tiki drink. Yeah, just a giant one. Yes. Basically, the idea is to block all sunlight from Venus and cool it. Um, and apparently, in about a 100 years, Venus's atmosphere... Uh, which is pretty substantial, like you said. Yeah. And almost all CO2 would freeze and fall to the surface. Well,
0: and, there's also a lot of sulfuric acid.
1: There is. Yeah. But, um, this, this atmosphere would freeze and create a surface layer. Yeah. Just like on Mars, like how the CO2 is locked in the polar ice caps. It'd be doing the same thing with Venus. Then you'd have to go in and deal with this frozen atmosphere, which is kind of a thing. But you could use it to your advantage, Chuck, because the leg up, like I said, that Mars has over Venus is that the Martian day is about twenty-four hours long, right? Yeah. Well, the Venusian day is about one hundred and sixty days long, yeah. That's which the means problem. it rotates way too slowly for us to be habitable for us. So if you take this atmosphere and you freeze it and you create this frozen hulk of a planet. You can actually make it spin faster if you can blow the atmosphere off into space in a directed manner.
0: Yeah, and uh, actually, in show correction, that's 116 uh, days is the length of their day. I gotcha.
1: 116 nice. Earth days, <laughs> Earth right? Days, yeah, yeah, there you go. Not
0: but I think anything over 100, you just call it a big problem. Yeah,
1: it's too long. Yeah. So if you can figure out how to blow the atmosphere the now frozen atmosphere off of Venus in the in the direction that it's already rotating. You could conceivably spin up speed up the the rotation of Venus.
0: Yeah. Uh one of the other problems with Venus is that there's no water um and as everyone knows, like we said, you need water for life. But then we come back to our comet idea of driving these comets and exploding them and creating water that way. Uh, and then the hyperthermiles, which I mentioned thermophiles, uh-huh. sorry, that I mentioned earlier are these organisms that can thrive in really hot temperatures. Um, and we're
1: talking really hot. I think the, the surface temperature of Venus is something like 800 degrees Fahrenheit, 872, yeah. which is 467 degrees Celsius.
0: Yeah, the problem is we, we haven't found anything on Earth, any hypothermophiles that can handle that kind of temperature and pressure
1: yet, but they think they exist. Yeah, did you mention the pressure of the atmosphere on, on Venus? It's two hundred times yeah. the pressure at sea level here on Earth. It's a problem as well. But if you could find a hypo hyperthermophile that could sustain that and ate sulfur,
0: yeah, which and then, they sp- they do though, yeah.
1: And then, yeah, because I think some of them are by thermal vents under underwater. Yeah, right? we, we know they eat
0: surf, uh, sulfur. We just haven't found any that can sustain that kind of heat and pressure yet. Well, There's
1: only one way to find out, and that's to launch them toward Venus and see <laughs> what happens. Basically, infect the the planet is what you're talking about. Yeah. Um. So the problem with all of this is is to to freeze Venus. It's going to require a lot of energy to reflect all all the light from the surface. Uh. It, to bit the frozen atmosphere out in the space, is going to require even more. Basically, it would require the amount of energy that the sun puts out in an entire year. That's crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy now, but have you ever heard of the Kardashev scale? Sure. So then you know there's type 1, type 2, and type 3 civilizations. And a type 1 civilization uses all of the available energy from the star. Yeah. So like all of this energy that hits the earth normally from the sun, if you could harness all that, you'd be a type one civilization. We're yeah. not even there yet. Type two civilization could harness all of the energy at the, that's created at the star, not just the stuff that makes it to your planet. Right. And if you could harness that, if you're a type two civilization, you could be doing this kind of terraforming, no problem. No sweat. <laughs> no sweat, man. But I mean, if you think about it, if you have a couple of like, leaps forward in understanding a couple of geniuses are born and live and advance human understanding yeah. over the course of a few generations, you could conceivably hit something like that in a hundred years. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility that we could be doing stuff like this a hundred, two hundred years from now.
0: Yeah. Uh, Venus, another idea they have instead of these huge giant um, shade sails would be to have a big floating pressurized geodesic sphere city that people basically would use the atmosphere because the atmosphere is okay, above the sulfuric acid, that is. But um that would provide shade, mm-hmm. and then eventually it would cool the planet down enough. Right. Just they, by creating a, a shadow.
1: They'd be simultaneously sucking the CO2 out of the atmosphere and breaking it down into carbon and oxygen as well, supposedly. So it'd yeah. be doing like two things at once. Not a bad idea. Yeah, no. Sounds efficient, a little more efficient. And apparently if you pressurized, um, like a indoor city or something like that, a floating city, and put it into Venus's atmosphere, it would naturally float in the atmosphere. It would stay put.
0: Yeah, I think that was the same for, uh, the, the, uh, solar mirror wouldn't have to be attached to anything either yeah. off, off of Mars. Yeah. I think it would just be held in place by, I think, uh, gravity and, uh, what? Solar. Bubble
1: gum. Uh, <laughs> bubble gum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then of course Chuck there is the moon. Boo. Seems pretty unlikely. The one thing that the moon has going for it is its proximity basically.
0: Yeah, basically it's like the moon is close, it's small. So you're not going to have to spend a lot of money getting there and it's because it's small you're not going to spend a ton of money fixing it up.
1: It's the budget terraforming idea.
0: I guess the Russians are already be living there mm-hmm. at this point. Um I don't know if the moon is very viable, though.
1: Well, you'd have to, again, bombard it with something to get it to spin faster, because right now it's days, 28 Earth days, right?
0: Yeah, they said like a 100 comets at least.
1: About the size of Halley's Comet.
0: Yeah, to get it just spinning faster and perhaps knock it off its axis a bit and give it seasons, which yeah. would be
1: nice, yep. like we have here on Earth. Man, my money's on Mars. It's got everything you need except for nitrogen, and that you can just deliver however you like. I kind of like
0: the shell idea that you sent along. Uh, Ken Roy, he's an engineer who basically says, "Why don't we just encase a small planet in a huge shell made of Kevlar and steel and dirt? Yeah, and just create like a huge geodesic dome around a planet."
1: I guess the question is, is where are you going to get all that dirt? I don't know because that is the that's an essential ingredient. You mostly it in dirt, then you create an atmosphere. Between the shell and the dirt. Yeah. where Where's all that dirt coming from? Adobe. I, I guess, <laughs> the so, big
0: Adobe sphere. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think that's a pretty neat idea. It'd be, you know. I do too. It'd be all artificial. You'd have to have artificial light because you're inside a dome. Right. Um, and apparently you would have like airlocks and stuff to account for like the vacuum. Yeah. I don't know about
1: that though. That and, sounds like science and fiction. He was saying the atmosphere would be just thin enough or gravity would be just light enough so that humans could fly around. <laughs> I swear to God he added that. No, no, no. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> He's like just to sweeten the pod a little more. Yeah, to make it that much more cool. You'll be able to fly. So anyway, we'll eventually ruin this planet and need something. Hopefully we'll have had the foresight to have started terraforming in time.
0: Yeah. Well they're know. they're already working on it. Are they? Well, I know I mean, people are talking about it. Proposing ideas, theoretical ideas. I don't think they're like building they should be. The asteroid slinger. They should have started in the 19th century. <laughs> They're building a comet sling in <laughs> right. Texas yeah. as we speak.
1: Yep. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know more about terraforming, you can type that word in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for, Chuck, a very special edition, Thanksgiving edition of Administrative
0: That's right. We are here to say thanks because it's around Thanksgiving. Because...
1: My uh, friend, it is Thanksgiving. Oh, is it Thanksgiving Day? Yes. Well, of course it is, it's Thursday. Uh, unless you're in Canada, and in which case, happy late belated Thanksgiving. Yes. Because they do theirs in like October.
0: Weirdos. I think so
1: too. <laughs> so, uh, who do we have to thank?
0: Yeah, I mean, we have, for those of you who never heard this segment, we have listeners that send us gifts from time to time, and it is always very much appreciated mm-hmm. and very nice. Mm-hmm. And so here they are. Yeah. I'm going to start with the second page if you want to
1: start with the first page. Sure. You go ahead, Chuck. Uh,
0: Anthony Savino sent us from his Etsy shop Swiss Chisel uh, a lap- laptop and business card holders made out of old wine barrel staves. Yeah, those are nice. And he makes all kinds of stuff um, out of these things. So check out his store, uh, which is Swiss Chisel.
1: Yes. On uh, Etsy. And uh, Matt Perky from evolveworkforce.com. Sent us some mugs. Matt's aim is to refine drug testing for states where marijuana is legal so we can get an idea of what your intoxication is immediately after something like an accident or whatever. Yeah, I
0: was wondering about that. Well, go states to... legalizing, like if your job, yeah, you know, if you have to get drug tested. This
1: guy's on it. Interesting. EvolveWorkforce.com.
0: Is that where the mug came from? Yes. Okay. I thought that was a hint. new york new york the band sent us a promo cd uh which is terrific so uh, we always like getting music from our musician friends so thanks for that
1: yep Uh, mike dudek from the dot com, c-l-i-c-k-y-p-o-s-t sent us cube pen holders of his own making uh he also sent us some awesome pilot metropolitan fountain pens and rhodia dot pads mike is a pen person and he wanted to share his uh his passion with us so thank you very much mike
0: All right, we have an anonymous gift. Uh, Someone sent us a postcard from the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center in Glencoe, Georgia, along with the junior federal agent badges
1: for for all three of us. And I have mine in my wallet. Yep. You really do, don't you? I do. Uh, Huge thank you to Chloe, the candy maker, who is also a ghost tour guide, who sent us tons of amazing candy from Mackinac Island, Michigan, where I used to go sometimes as a child, so I was very happy to get this. Oh, yeah? Uh, Yeah. And um, we want to say good luck and safe travels to you and your sister on your world tour, Chloe. Be safe. Uh, Big
0: thanks to Annie from Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. Nice. uh, Sent us a mega care package for real of Australian treats uh Tim Tams. I mm-hmm. think you love those things, right? Oh, man, I went
1: crazy for this.
0: Time. And uh Carmelo Kids, uh were pretty good as well. Uh Violet Crumble's
1: Picnic Boost Hero. There was some weird stuff in there, but it Burgerings. was all good. Man,
0: those Aussies got some crazy candies.
1: Uh thanks to Andrew Parr for an entire puzzle dedicated to stuff you should know in the World of Puzzles Winter 2014 issue. It was awesome.
0: Oh boy, this is one of my favorites. Rob Henyon, um from uh, sent us those awesome Stuff You Should Know bookends mm-hmm. made from industrial fasteners. And they are super cool. They're really heavy and they're awesome. And uh, you can get information at moremetalwelding at com or moremetal.etsy.com. It's like quality, quality stuff.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, Kevin paloquin from com. That's K-E-V-I-N-P-E-L-O-Q-U-I-N. And Raddad Tees. I think those are both of his sites. Uh, he gave us an amazing illustration of Steve Zisu from The Life Aquatic looking pensively toward the horizon, which I have up in my cubicle. Oh, I wonder what that was from. That's from Kevin Poloquin. Uh,
0: Lauren and Megan from Chopsticks for Salamanders. They've got a pretty cool cause. They mm-hmm. sent them, uh, sent us stainless steel reusable chopsticks. Uh, and this is a big deal because chopsticks are, honestly, they're kind of a problem. Uh, they, um, sell these to help prevent destruction of forests. Um, from those little cheapy wooden ones. Yeah. And they're the same forest where they, where they get these, uh, the wood for these things where salamanders live. And so every year 60 billion pairs of chopsticks are thrown away and a lot of salamanders are having their forests, uh, forests and habitats destroyed because of your sushi uh, addictions, (laughs) which I have as well. Yes. So. Get some of these. You can learn more at chopsticksforsalamanders.org.
1: Nice. Um, we got a postcard. Man, it's been a while since we did this. We got a postcard from uh, one of our announcing the birth of one of our newer fans, Clyde Avery Thomas, who was born at one fifty a.m. on January sixteenth, two 2014 in Traverse City, Michigan. I thought you'd say he was like six. <laughs> yeah, by now he probably is, but um, he most likely came out a little frostbitten because it's cold up there, but... Congratulations to Andrew and Janelle Thomas on the birth of your son. Yeah, and happy first birthday pretty soon. Pretty
0: soon. Uh, Mike and Cassidy Lord from Athens, Georgia. Woohoo! Sent us a postcard from Cambodia um, while in Borneo.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: Wrap your mind around that. Interesting.
1: Uh, Sarah Austin gave us a very chic and rugged handmade leather cardholder wallets, which are pretty awesome. Thank very you.
0: nice. Uh, Rachel Crandall for the line drawing of stuff you should know. Written in Gallifreyan. It's the language, apparently, that, uh, Time Lords and Doctor Who of the Time Lords. Right. So I'm not a Doctor Who fan, but I appreciated the gift.
1: Yeah, um, it well. was pretty cool. Uh, Julie from Austin, Texas sent us a postcard from the Shed Aquarium in beautiful Chicago, Illinois. Thank you, Julie.
0: Oh boy. Lois Olson. This is my favorite gift I've gotten. Very simple, but awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mini quilts. Yeah. They are, it's basically a little tiny, not a tiny. It's a small placemat that you use in place of a coaster.
1: Right. It's mug Big, rugs. Bigger than a coaster, smaller than a placemat.
0: Yeah, a little rectangular thing. And I often at dinner will have like maybe a beer, maybe a glass of water, <laughs> right. maybe a cup of coffee. shot of whiskey. And I put everything down on my little mug rug. Mm-hmm. And if anything spills, it soaks it up. It's better than a coaster. It doesn't stick like a coaster. It's like... It's going to revolutionize the coaster industry. Nice. I love them. So thank you, Lois Olson, for that.
1: Uh, Thank you to Brett Arnold, who won our horror fiction contest, if you'll remember. He sent us a copy of his book, Avalon, and you can get Avalon on Amazon.com. And then lastly for this one, um, we want to thank Joe and Linda Hecht for sending us tons of stuff, including customized Stuff You Should Know mugs. Uh, with hints to, um, podcast topics that they'd like to hear stuff about. They put them on a mug and have them made and send them to us.
0: Yeah. Cool they, mugs.
1: They sent us a copy of the DVD American Amazon. They gave us 10 bucks to watch it. I <laughs> know, oh, man. So, uh, they're, they're the best. They are very great people. So thank you to everybody. And we still have more people to thank yet left, um, eventually. Yeah, this is part one. Right. But uh, we are grateful for each and every one of you and all of you listeners out there, whether you send us stuff or not. We're thankful to all of you. and We hope you're having a wonderful holiday no matter where you are in the world. Agreed. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.